Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, once again, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. Uh, my name's Ryan. If we haven't met, I'm just really grateful that you're here. And if you're joining us online, a, a special welcome to you as well. You know, if you've been coming to Emmanuel Faith for decades or even just for a few weeks, our hope is that you have quickly discovered that we think Jesus is a pretty big deal. Okay? So our mission as a church body is to help people live in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, to be on mission with Jesus. See, we believe that Jesus is the method, Jesus is the curriculum, Jesus is the model. We are all in on Jesus. But I think it should cause us to ask the question, why? Why? I mean, what is it about this man? Did you know that the gospel accounts of his life have been translated into 2,500 languages? 2,500 languages. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, that's the most any biography or any set of writings has been translated into any other language. The second most has only 380 languages it's translated into. So 2,500 to 380. So how did that happen? Like, how did we get to the place that we are today? I mean, was Jesus sort of like, like Forrest Gump, where, remember that great movie from the 90s, where Forrest Gump just always seems to find himself in the right place to be a part of these significant moments in history. Like coincidentally and comically, he just sort of finds himself in the right place. I mean, was Jesus just in the right place at the right time? Was he like a, a master at maximizing the moments? I mean, how did we get here? 2,500 different languages have copies of the story of his life. And yet, he never went to college, never got a degree, never wrote a book, never married, never owned a home, never traveled far from the place he was born, never held political office. His dad was a construction worker. His mom was a single teenage mom. He grew up in the middle of nowhere. And yet, and yet, more books have been written about Jesus. More songs have been sung about Jesus. More movies have been made about Jesus. More paintings have been done about, of Jesus than anyone else in the history of the world. So how did we get here where a homeless Jewish itinerant rabbi became the most talked about person on the face of the planet even 2,000 years after he lived? Who was, or, or maybe better said, who is this Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible, would you open with me to John chapter 7? Who is this man? That's the question that's in front of us. And I want you to have the scriptures open in front of you because the first 10 verses aren't going to be up on the screen. Um, in many ways, they give context to where we're going to land today. And so I'm just going to jump right in, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 7. Are you there? Yes. Wonderful. Here we go. It says this. And after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Now, 
we're gonna find that this going about in Galilee lasted about six months, okay? He would not go about in Judea because the Jews there were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So John chapter six takes place uh, around the time of Passover. You can see that in verse four of John chapter six. Now we fast forward about six months to the time of the Feast of Booths. Now, there were three pilgrim feasts uh, that the Israelites celebrated every single year. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths, where people from all around Israel would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And Feast of Booths was arguably the most joyous celebration that they had all year. It was like a communal backpacking activity. I, I really, as somebody who loves the outdoors, I love this idea because people would gather and they would take tents or sort of like cardboard boxes and they would put them outside for the whole week. They would live outside as a way to remind themselves of God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness, the way that he provided manna for them to eat and water for them to drink. And so they celebrated God's faithfulness at this feast. Verse three, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go up to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Like, Jesus, you're doing some great things. Why don't you go and, and just sort of pop onto the public scene and, 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 and come out in Judea as the Messiah? For not even his brothers believed in him. How's that for a truth? Not even his brothers believed in him. Yet they're encouraging him to, to go up to Jerusalem, where there's fear that he might be killed. I can remember when I was a kid, I talked to my younger brother into loading our super soaker full of water and he pumped it up and I encouraged him to go and spray the wasp nest that was on the side of our house. And so I was sort of on the other side, just waiting to see what would happen. He went up and he just, he's like, I should squirt this. And I'm like, squirt it. And he's like, <sighs> and then he just started screaming and immediately I knew that my night was not gonna be the same because my parents were gonna be really upset. Six wasp stings he got that day. And my night wasn't great either, I'm just gonna say that. I think Jesus's brothers are doing something similar. They're like, why don't you go up to Judea and do the teachings there that you've been doing here, verse six. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. It's interesting. I think on a, on a human surface level, we would affirm what his brothers would say, like go up to Jerusalem. If you really are who you say you are, go to the epicenter of religious activity and declare it clearly for people. But how many of you know that Jesus often doesn't do what we expect him to do? Can I get an amen? How many of you have experienced that sometime in your life? You expected Jesus to do one thing and he did something else. Okay? And that's exactly what he does here. Picking up the story in verse 10, it says this. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? 
And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And immediately we see that Jesus has been gone from Jerusalem for roughly six months. He steps back into the city and people are talking. They're talking about him. Who is this Jesus? Where is this Jesus? Like politics and weather, people are always talking about Jesus. They didn't know what to do with him then, and we often don't know what to do with him now. So let me ask you a little bit more directly. What do you do with Jesus? They're, they're trying to figure him out. What, what do you do with him? Because every person has to have an answer for who they think Jesus is. In fact, in fact, the most important question you'll ever answer is who is Jesus? The most important question you will ever answer is who is Jesus? And you can't ignore that question. And you can't distort that question. And you can't sort of slough it off and hope that it goes away. And you can't say, well, that question doesn't really matter. And, and then follow it up with, really, I just believe that sort of all roads lead to God. And it doesn't really matter who we say Jesus is. Because we're all going to get to God, quote unquote, eventually. And it's not really answering the question. I love the way that Tim Keller put it in his great book, Reason for God. Listen to what he said. He said, I was once invited to be the Christian representative in a panel discussion at a local college with a Jewish rabbi and a Muslim imam. The panelists were asked to discuss the differences among religions. The conversation was courteous, intelligent, and respectful in tone. Each speaker affirmed that there were significant irreconcilable differences between the major faiths. Okay. So this is leaders from each faith looking at each other and going, yeah, we don't agree on that. We don't see eye to eye on that. We can't all be right. We can hold hands and sing kumbaya, but it doesn't mean that we're agreeing that all roads lead to God. Keller goes on to write, and he says this, a major case in point was the person of Jesus. We all agreed on the statement. If Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. Keller writes, the bottom line was we couldn't all be equally right about the nature of God. And doesn't that just sort of rub against everything in us in our modern age where we don't want to offend and we don't want to draw dividing lines? And I'm just telling you, if you really answer this question, there will be some division amongst you and other people. So here's my question. How do we answer this question in a way where we can be confident that the answer we have is actually aligned with reality and with truth. That's what I want to talk about today. And I actually don't think we have too many options in the way that we answer 
this question. With the things that Jesus said and taught, he actually backed us into a corner where our options are very few. But that doesn't mean that we won't at least try some options that aren't really options. Let me show you one of them. He's a good man, they said. Verse 12. Our version of this in 2023 is, he was a good teacher. How many of you heard people say that about Jesus? He was a good teacher. It's interesting because C.S. Lewis, a brilliant mind, said that is one of the things that Jesus cannot be. He cannot just be a good teacher. Listen to what he said. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis, mic drop, out, right? He's going, no, 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 it's intellectually dishonest to just simply say that Jesus was a good teacher because what he taught was all wrapped up in who he was. He talked about God as his father. He referred to God as Abba, something that every other Jewish person listening in, for, for a Jewish man to call God daddy, they were like, ooh, you can't do that. You can't do that. He called himself the great I am. He said that scripture was written about him. He said that he fulfilled scripture. He claimed to have the ability to forgive sin. See, not all of Jesus' teaching was love your neighbor. Now, those are the teachings that we're comfortable with. But they aren't the complete collection and I think we need to assess all that Jesus taught and all that Jesus said, not just the portions that we like. And when we do that, I'm convinced that the only way we can say that Jesus was a good teacher is if he was correct in what he taught. And if Jesus is correct in what he taught, he is way more than a good teacher. He is way more than a good teacher. So I don't think he's a good man is enough of a way to answer the question, who is Jesus? So let's take that option off the table and let's explore some of the other ways the crowd in the first century tried to answer this ultra important question, who is Jesus? Here's what they said. They said, he's a good man. And others said, no, you can't call him that. Remember what C.S. Lewis Wright wrote. And then they said, okay, just kidding. No, he's leading the people, what? Astray. No, he's, he's deceiving people. No, he's, he's lying. He's lying. He's not being truthful in what he is saying. And I think that's one of the options in the conclusion that you could come to. You could decide, I don't suggest it, but you could decide that Jesus was a liar. That Jesus was a liar. Now, to be fair, to be fair, there are religious leaders who have started movements based on events that have later been proven to be a lie. Okay? So, so that's not outside of the realm of possibility. 
For example, um, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Latter-day Saints religion, claimed that the angel Moroni came to him, visited him in the fall of 1823, and told him where some gold plates had been buried 14 centuries earlier. He went and found the gold plates. He then uh, deciphered and translated the gold plates and came up with what we now know as the Book of Mormon. The trouble is there's very few people that ever, quote-unquote, saw the gold plates, and the gold plates have mysteriously disappeared. So you could see that people would be suspicious of the way that that religion began. And I use Smith as an example to say that there are people who begin religions that you can go back and find out that they were based not on the truth, but on a lie. So here's my question. Did Jesus do that? Did did Jesus launch this whole movement based on a lie? Well, listen to the way that the people respond. It says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, and he began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how is it that this man is is learning when he's never studied? Like, we go to rabbis, we follow rabbis for years. Does he, has he followed any rabbis? No. Did he go to school, did he go to the best school? No. How in the world is he teaching what he's teaching? Verse 16, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Later on, the people would just marvel that Jesus had authority. Like when he spoke, people sat on the edge of their seat. They wanted more until they wanted to kill him. But most of the time, they wanted more, right? Matthew would say, he would record and say, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were what? Say it with me, church. Astonished Astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had what? Authority not as their scribes. Now, if you're one of the scribes and you hear that, you're like, we're right here. Like, why you got to talk about us like that? We're right. We can hear you. But they're like, he has, he has authority. And notice throughout the scriptures, authoritative teaching does not come from the education someone has, It doesn't come from the position someone holds. It doesn't come from the place that someone teaches. It comes from the alignment that they have to the truth. Jesus says, the reason I have authority is because my words are coming from the heart of our Father. Authority always comes from alignment. Alignment with truth and alignment with who Jesus is. And at this point, I don't think we have enough in order to say, well, like Jesus could have just been a really great orator, right? He, he could have been able to package words in such a way that his teachings had an authority. So I don't know that we have enough to definitively say that Jesus wasn't lying. He may have just been a really compelling speaker. But listen to what he says next. If anyone's will is to do, the, to do God's will, He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. More on that later. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. Here's Jesus's point. Here's Jesus's point. If I'm lying, you have to answer the question, what am I getting out of this? Because I continue to point back to my father. It's all about him. It's all about him. Jesus says, I'm deferring glory. And those who begin religious movements intentionally based on a lie 
always, mark my words, always personally benefit from the lie. Jesus doesn't. Does Jesus make money off of these teachings? Does he? No. No, he doesn't. Does he... um, He's essentially homeless, okay? So he doesn't make a ton of money. Does he get famous? No. Famous enough to die, but that's about it. I mean, he consistently tells people, shh, don't, don't share what you've seen. When they try to make him king, he's like, no, that's, this, my time has not yet come. Not in the way that you want me to be king. Did he exert his power? to benefit himself over others. No, he consistently taught his followers that genuine leadership is lifting others up, not lording it over people. He spoke truthfully about who he was, but he was in no way or sense egotistical or self-absorbed. He emptied himself. In so many ways, he's the anti-hero. Unlike any other person who launched a religious movement has ever lived, Jesus lived saying, it's not about me. It's about my father. So if you call Jesus a liar, you at least have to do the work to give a motive of what he gained out of his lie. And I would suggest to you that he gained nothing. I don't think him being a liar is a good answer to who is this Jesus. But it's not the only answer that someone could give. Listen to the way this story goes on. Verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Like essentially their answer is you're paranoid. No one's seeking to kill you. And then behind his back, they're like, let's kill him. Right? But here's what they do. They drop the trump card, they, they drop the mic, they, they use their trump card, and they say, you have a demon. It was a first century way of calling somebody crazy. You're crazy. Have you ever been in an argument, and someone sort of backed you into the corner, and all you could mutter is, you're crazy. Anybody ever tried that with their spouse? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Right? You're Crazy. It usually doesn't go over all that well. But it's the way that some people tried to reconcile and tried to answer this question, who is Jesus? They said he was a lunatic. Now, to be fair, there are religious leaders who have started movements and they've been able to convince people of all sorts of things. But in the end, it turned out they were crazy. Now, if you're wondering, oh, Ryan, who are you going to offend now? Let me tell you who I'm going to offend now. 1978, Jim Jones was the leader of the People's Temple Movement. He orchestrated what's now known as the Jamestown Massacre, where he convinced 900 people to participate in a mass suicide where they drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah, that's a term in our culture now, um, thanks to to Jim. They drank the Kool-Aid, 900 people died. How about this? David Koresh. And if you're wondering, could you have found a better picture of him? No, I couldn't. That was the best that 
This is as normal as I can make him look, I promise you of that. Leader of the Branch Davidians, Koresh believed himself to be a prophet and he and his followers, they stockpiled weapons believing that the apocalypse was coming. But then on February 28th of 1993, the government raided the Davidian compound and it resulted in a 51 day siege where eventually dozens and dozens of people lost their life in a fire. Anybody remember watching that? Yeah, it's devastating. So let me ask you, does Jesus fit the mold? Does he fit the mold of somebody that's just sort of uh, either a master manipulator or that he's got a few screws loose? He's a little, just a little bit crazy like they accused him of being. I would suggest to you that he does not. But keep reading, keep reading and listen to his response. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Now, now just a quick time out. The one work he's referring to is the healing of the man by the pool of Bethesda. He had been unable to walk for 38 years. Jesus healed him and he was able to walk, but he did it on the Sabbath. That event took place six months before this event. And the people are still, can you believe what Jesus did? He healed on the Sabbath. Like they, they just could not get over the fact that Jesus healed on a day where you're not allowed to heal. Verse 22, Moses gave you circumcision, <clears throat> not that it was really for Moses, it was from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Here's Jesus's reasoning. He takes their own scriptures, his own also, but he takes their scriptures and he says, isn't it true that a newborn baby boy is circumcised on the eighth day? And they're all like, yes, eighth day. Every time on the eighth day? Yep, every eighth day, yeah. And he goes, okay, what if, hypothetically, the eighth day happens to fall on the Sabbath? What do you do then? And they're like, oh, we circumcise him on the eighth day. He's like, right, you circumcise them on the Sabbath. And they're like, you're crazy. You've got a demon, right? <laughs> and here's what he's done. He has just brilliantly Jedi mind tricked them into the corner where they have to say, you're right, we work on the Sabbath. You're right, we do surgery on the Sabbath. You're right, we are doing that on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, if you're doing that on the Sabbath, why can't I heal a man on the Sabbath? What's the difference? What's the difference? See, Jesus is not only thinking clearly, he's thinking brilliantly. And I would suggest to you that he's far from a lunatic. He's far from crazy. He uses their own scriptures to reason them into a corner where they can no longer say, you're crazy. And I think, I think he got done with this argument and then there's just this silence that falls over the crowd and they're looking at him like that meme, you know, that guy blinking, like, and then I, I just want to assume that Jesus, under his breath, said, said something like, call me crazy again. Call me crazy again, because I got, I got more where that came from, right? And then he goes on. He doesn't say, call me crazy again, but here's what he does say. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. See, even when Jesus makes a dig at somebody, he does it in a way where you read it and you go, well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Right? Listen to what Dale Bruner, the way Dale Bruner um, translated this verse. He said, 
He said you could translate it like this. Don't give your judgment superficially. Make your judgment with integrity. See, here's what Jesus is saying to the people in the crowd. You call me crazy, but I call you lazy. That's what he's saying. He's saying you're unwilling to wrestle with the fact that the conclusions you've drawn about the scriptures are inconsistent. Like you're just going to hold on to them instead of actually wrestling with the words that I've said. You will not even come close to exploring or embracing a new perspective on something that you've done, even when there's evidence that's staring you in the face, Jesus says. And I think this, like, verse 24 is his, like, mic drop, And the crowd just goes silent until somebody starts to speak up. Because we've explored Jesus, um, he doesn't fit the mold of being a liar. He's way too brilliant to be a lunatic, So what are our other options? Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? I love this. Jesus is like, I told you, you want to kill me. And everyone's like, shh, we told him we didn't want to kill him. Verse 26. And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the, what? The Christ. Now, some of you are probably really familiar with this. If, uh, if you are, forgive me. If, if you're not, um, Christ is not Jesus's last name, okay? It's not like Jesus Christ is the akin to like Ryan Paulson. That's not the way it worked. Christ is a title. Christ is a title. See, um, the Jewish people were longing for, praying for, and looking for their Messiah, In Hebrew, it's the word Mashiach. Will you say that with me? Mashiach. Christ, Christ, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, and it means anointed one. The anointed one, the anointed ruler, the anointed Lord, the anointed king. See, Messiah was seen to be somebody who would be set apart for a special task of rescuing God's people and restoring God's good creation. And the people look on at Jesus and they go, could this be him? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? The one that we have been waiting for. That's the third option that Jesus would give people. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. And the people come to this place where they're not willing to go all in on Jesus as Lord, but they're at least willing to say the other two options just fall short. They don't make sense. They're not compelling enough. Like he's backed us into a corner. Listen to what he says in verse 31. Many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Like, are we really expecting more than what Jesus has done? He's turned water into wine. Remember when he healed that boy? He wasn't even present in the town and he healed that boy. Remember the man who was sitting by the pool waiting for somebody to like help him get in the pool and Jesus just went up to him and said, take up your mat, get up and walk. Remember when he gathered the people up on the hill and and with a, a little kid's lunch, he fed the multitudes 
And then he sent his disciples away in the boat. And then he like moonwalked across the sea of Galilee. They're like, are we really expecting our Christ or Messiah or Lord to do more than that? And if so, what more are we expecting? And everybody looks at each other and they go, we're not expecting more than that. We aren't expecting more than that. Like maybe just maybe he is who he says he is. And I would say to you today, maybe just maybe he is who he says he is. I don't think it makes sense for Jesus to be a liar. I don't think he got enough out of it for that. I don't think it makes sense to say Jesus was a lunatic. He was brilliant. I think of the evidence and the things that Jesus said and did. I think the most logical conclusion to come to is to declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, there's a number of like breadcrumbs that Jesus drops down throughout this passage. And I just want to go explore a few of them with us because maybe some of you are here and you're struggling. Like, what do I do with that? Jesus as Lord. Maybe, maybe some of you are here and you're like, I have trusted in Jesus as my Lord, but what does it look like in real life? And then there's some of you that you're like looking from the outside in and you want to like dip your toes in the water to go, okay, like if I wanted to explore that claim, what more could I do? What could I do? I'm so glad you asked. Let me give you a few things that you could do. These are the subtle proofs that Jesus gives throughout this text. Jump back to verse 17 with me. He says this. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Isn't that a, fa that's a fascinating passage. Because Jesus says, if you want to know if my teaching is true, put it to the test in your real life. Try me out, he says. Try it out. I love the way that Bruner put it when he said this. He said, one simple way to know the authenticity of Jesus is to want and then try to do the will of God that Jesus claims to represent. Christians learn rather soon that seeking to do Jesus's teaching is really the only way to live responsibly. And this living truth increasingly confirms the truth of Jesus to them. Here's what he's saying. You want to know that Jesus is Lord, put his word, his truth into practice. And the more you practice it, the more you will be able to say, he's right. He's right. Jesus claims that his teaching has a self-authenticating characteristic to it. The more you do it, the more you're able to recognize he is right. So apply his teaching. Apply his teaching. Whoops. It's better to love your enemies. It's better to be generous. It's better to turn the other cheek. It's better to give to the poor. It's better to let go of your anger. It's better to rid your heart of lust. It's better to trust that Jesus is the bread of life. It's better to acknowledge there's no other name under heaven given by which people must be saved. It's better. It's better. Now, anytime I say apply his teachings, I just want to also uh, just follow that with what Jesus said in verse 19, where he said to the scribes and to the Pharisees and to the crowd, the Jews, he said, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. And if they weren't able to keep the law perfectly, we're not going to be able to keep the teachings of Jesus perfectly. So as you apply his teachings, would you do so knowing that you need the spirit of God at work in you and you need the grace of God to sustain you? Amen? Amen. We are not going to get it perfect. 
We are, let me say that again. We are not, you are not going to get it perfect. I'm not going to get it perfect. But that does not mean that we are going to remain the same. It doesn't mean that we have to stay stuck in the same patterns. That by the power of the Spirit at work in our life, we can be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Amen. Apply his teaching. Here's the second thing Jesus said. He said, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Once again, I just want to remind you, Jesus is not seeking his own glory. Apply his teachings and then assess his motives. Assess his motives. What did Jesus gain if he wasn't who he claimed to be? I mean, he spent time with, with lepers. He spent time with children. He spent time with outcasts. He claimed that the blessing of God was avail available to all people. He claimed that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve, not to be served. If Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, what benefit did he derive from the way that he lived? Assess his motives. Like, quote, unquote, put him on trial if you want to. But he says, my motives are pure. Search me out. My motives are pure. And then finally, and then finally, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? John, towards the end of his gospel, would say, I I've just chosen a few stories to tell you about Jesus because if I were to record and tell all the stories about Jesus, the whole world couldn't fill all the books that would be written about him. So here's what John is claiming. Here's what John is encouraging us to do in this passage, to acknowledge his power. And there are many in our modern age who want to refute the miracles of Jesus, but there's so many of them that are well-documented and well-verified. In my opinion, there is one that stands above them all. And I would encourage you to start here. Start with the resurrection. If you're curious about Jesus, if you're struggling with affirming that Jesus is Lord, start with the resurrection there are secular and religious historians who would claim that there was a man named Jesus who died on a Roman cross. By the way, Romans were really good at killing people, okay? Died on a Roman cross, was buried in the ground for three days, and then walked out of the grave and appeared to over 500 people saying, touch my side, touch my hands, it's really me. If you're struggling with Jesus as Lord, start with the resurrection, research the resurrection, dive into the resurrection, doubt your doubts about whether or not the resurrection could have taken place because if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. Amen. It changes everything. Study it. Dive in and do your best to answer this question, who is Jesus? It's the most important question you will ever answer in your whole life. I know for some of you, um, you're here today and a long time ago, you said Jesus is Lord. And I wanna say praise be to God to that. But I also wanna say it's worth looking at the other options in order to reaffirm I really do believe he's Lord. And it's not just lip service. It's that he couldn't have just been a good teacher. It's that he doesn't, he, he doesn't fit the mold of somebody who lied and benefited from it. And he certainly wasn't crazy, he's brilliant. 
And so I want to encourage you, if that's you and you're here today and you're going, oh, I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believed it for decades, I just want to invite you, go back through the other options so that your anchor might be more firmly fixed in the truth that Jesus is in fact Lord. And then there's some here today and maybe you don't know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe you're looking at this and you're going, yeah, Ryan, I get those th like other two or these three options, but there's got to be more options than that. And I would say, my question for you is, is it really that there must be other options or, or is it the fear of what it might mean if you said Jesus is Lord? And I get that, I get that. Because if he's Lord, then that means my life changes. If he's Lord, that means I'm not. If he's Lord, that means my, his way, his heart. If I'm Lord, I can decide how I wanna live. It's if he's Lord, I follow. And so let me just ask you, is, it, is your resistance fear? An emotional tie to something that you don't wanna give up? And if it is, I don't think that's any reason to turn away from maybe a truth, from a truth that might just be staring you right in the face today. Here's my encouragement to you. First decide who Jesus is. Then, then trust him to help you live in the way that he's called you to live. First things first, who is this man? And I would suggest to you that honest searching leads to genuine worship. Honest searching leads to people going, you are who you say you are. Honest searching often leads people to say what the apostle Paul would say, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Honest searching causes people to join in the anthem of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who is and who is to come. Honest searching leads people to bow down in reverence to say, you are the lamb that was slain. You have purchased people for God. You have all authority and all dominion and all honor. So you will have all praise. The people in this passage go, maybe just maybe Jesus is the Christ. And they throw their arms up in the air and go, who knows? I don't want us to throw our arms up in the air. I want us to bow on our feet. I want us to bow on our knees. I want us in reverence to give Jesus honor and glory to declare that he is holy, that he is worthy and that he is the only name under heaven given by which men must be saved. Is he liar? Is he lunatic? Or is he Lord? It's the most important question you'll ever answer. Let's pray. There's some of you, you're here today and maybe just maybe the, the truth of who Jesus is is staring you in the face and he's calling you to himself. And if that's you, you can simply respond by saying, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. You're no liar, you're no lunatic. You are who you said you are. You've done what you said you would do, that you, you died and took the penalty for my sin. You were buried in the grave. I believe that you rose and that there's new life in your hands and I trust in you as my Lord.
And he would say back to you, I call you my son and my daughter. And Lord, I also know that there's people here and they're just, they're sort of on the fence, they're wrestling. And I pray even now that your spirit would minister, that you would woo, that you would draw, and that it might not be just an intellectual ascent or looking at the information or the data, but that there might be something, even as we sing to this last song, that there might be something in their heart that just leaps forward and says, yes, yes. What a beautiful name. So Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, the Christ, we worship you and you alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.